Why are top U.S. officials sending mixed messages on American energy? Both Energy Secretary Granholm and President Biden tout the importance of LNG to our national security. Our liquefied natural gas exports have been a significant help to our allies. Now in an election year, the administration has stopped permitting of U.S. liquefied natural gas projects. Tell the administration, stop playing politics with our energy and national security. Visit LightsOnEnergy.com. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast brought to you by API. This is a show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 335, and I have an upper respiratory infection. <laughs> there could be worse infections you'd have. Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, we had a great time at NAEP. Got a chance to spend a little bit of time with my son who is in the U.S. Army. And of course, he gave us the gift that keeps on giving back, which is this upper respiratory <laughs> infection. <laughs> Paige got it first. I got it second. But we're doing fine. And we have our next mixer coming up in March. What's the date? I think it's the... Uh... 28th? It'll be last Thursday in March. We sold out the last one. This one's already looking like it's going to sell out as well. If you're a listener in the Houston area, go get your tickets now. If you follow us on LinkedIn, which I've been asking you to do for years, you've already seen the links to click on. We'll stick in the show notes as well. But great time, great people, a way to give back to our local community and also fight human sex trafficking. So like I said, if you're in the Houston area, come join us last Thursday in March. If you come, come find me. I'll probably be in jeans and a black t-shirt. Come introduce yourself. And probably we'll have a water burger cup, right? Don't tell people my secrets. <laughs> I will be have a water burger cup in my hand, but it will have an adult beverage in it. That's how I hide it from everybody. <laughs> So now I just told everybody our <laughs> secrets. I tell you what, though, we haven't gotten a review in a little while. I do need to check, make sure the technology isn't broken. But if it's not, come on, people, leave us a review. Just go to the show notes. There's a link you click on. It's called lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW. Easy, easy, easy way to give us a review. Love to hear from you. Uh, if you love the show, let us know. Give us five stars. And if there's something we can improve upon, go and give us four stars. And let us or know if you want to bang your head against the wall <laughs> and give us a one star and... I'm telling you, you give us a one-star page, you can make fun of you. Because they're my absolute favorite. Those are my favorite ones, honestly. I appreciate the love and the lack thereof. All right, so now while I'm over here sounding like a dude, let's get into the news stories. We'll start off with Exxon pursues a lawsuit despite activist investor climb down. I absolutely love this. So you heard me <laughs> report on this a while back. The two activist groups, June Capital, and I can't remember the other one. Anyway, they basically both bought shares in ExxonMobil so they could continuously make proposals, which is outside the normal way of doing business at a shareholder meeting, trying to force Exxon to be more aggressive on what they see as problems with their climate change policy. Exxon said that it was an interruption to their business, which it was. I mean, let's be honest here, people. Yeah. These two companies did not buy shares because they support Exxon. No, it was extreme trolling. Yeah, their intent was wrong from the beginning. Exxon actually went to court. Oh, it's Follow This. That's the other activist group. So June Capital and Follow This said they withdrew their proposal. Mm-hmm. 
And Exxon said, thank you very much, activists, investors who are drawing your proposal. However, we're going to continue with the lawsuit. And there's a quote from Exxon saying, we believe there are still important issues for the courts to resolve. There's no change to our plans. The suit is continuing. Mm-hmm. In a statement. And I 100% agree with ExxonMobil. This needs to be taken to court. This needs to be snuffed out. This is not a climate change or an anti-oil and gas lawsuit. This is a lawsuit based upon the rules and regulations the SEC has out there for public companies in the U.S. and how they have to run business. And these two activist groups were causing ExxonMobil's executive team to spend more time and money dealing with them than actually try to run the company. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that Exxon's continuing this. So shout out Exxon. Thank you for doing this. Please don't back away. Not just our industry, but all large corporations need sometimes this check and yeah. balance, which you're spending the money to do. I love that the investors reply to ExxonMobil, quote, this amounts to tactics of intimidation and bullying to silence investors. Wait, isn't that why you bought shares in ExxonMobil to intimidate and bully? Uh-huh. And it doesn't feel so good when you're on shoes on the other foot. Oh, mm-hmm. and wait, you're having to spend money now to fight ExxonMobil's legal team? Oh, shabby. Oh, man. <laughs> Who would have ever thought you just didn't get your way? I'm glad this is going on. I am making fun of them. This is wrong on so many different levels. And I really appreciate ExxonMobil sticking to it. ExxonMobil's catching hell in public perception right now for going after these activists and investors. It would have been better for Exxon's PR for them to dismiss the lawsuit after oh, of the course. said no. But Exxon's doing the right thing, people. So 100% support what they're doing. I can't wait to see what happens in court. Yeah, me too. It's going to be a good one. All right. Speaking of doom and gloom, Red Sea crisis is tightening oil markets. Yeah, real quick, easy read. Basically, you know what's going on in the Red Sea with the Houthi rebels, which a lot of people say that the whole reason the rebels are doing this is they don't support the nation of Israel and they're trying to support Iran. I don't really think... Iran has a lot of control over what these rebels are doing. They're doing it, I think, for just pirating reasons, trying to make a dollar. It is interesting. They use a word here called backwardation, which mm-hmm. sounds like some type of dance from the 80s on cardboard. <laughs> <you know? laughs> However, it's a financial term. And I know my financial listeners are correct me on this because I think I'm going to probably get it wrong. I think backwardation is the opposite of a contango, and it has to do with – the market forward prices of a future. And I think it's when the future contract is higher than the spot price, that's a contango market. And when it's the opposite, it's a backwardation market. Like I said, I know our financial experts correct me on I don't that even one. know what you just said, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what's going on with the Red Seas is shipping, not just oil and gas and LNG, but all shipping is having to take the long way around through the Cape of Good Hope. Thank you for whoever corrected me. <laughs> Let me know that's around Africa, South America, because they don't want to go through the Suez Canal. What's happening is this is adding cost and time to everything that normally moves Time is the, money, so. the Mediterranean. Yeah. This is causing some changes in the market curves now. So what happens because these changes now, I think you're probably buying more U.S. and African crude than they were before. That's also changing the market. And Europe is still in the middle of their winter. They need as much hydrocarbon energy as they can possibly get. It's also interesting that a lot of WGI coming out of our backyard in Midland is ended up in Europe because of this. So it's really changing the markets. There's also a shortage of diesel. Once again, it's 
seems like we just got rid of the shorts of diesel years ago. That's happened because of this. Besides this tighter crude market, because of what's going on in the Red Sea and the rebels out there, you're also having some interesting things happen in other parts of the oil market, like in Iran and Venezuela, which I think at some point, all this will come together in a perfect storm. And even though OPEC is still making cuts and some of their fellow nations are promising to make cuts, I still see at some point there's going to be a limit in supply and we're going to see a huge price spike. Halfway through this year, three quarters through this year, somewhere around there. What I don't want to have happen is all out warfare breakout. I will give a big shout out to our current administration, which I rarely do. I think the way they're handling what's going on in the Red Sea from a military point of view is just about spot on. We are responding in force. It's not a cursory military response. It's also not devastating. We're basically warning people over there that we can completely wipe you off the face of the earth. We're not doing it now. Stop doing this. We need to see what's happened with Israel and Hamas to settle down to come to some type of agreement, whatever that would look like, before we can get this thing in the Red Sea settled down. So just a lot going on geopolitically. What I don't want to see is warfare breakout. I was really, really worried about that just a couple of weeks ago. And now not that worried about it anymore. I think the U.S. military has a handle on this. Good deal. Good deal. All right. So next up, we have Kazakhstan vows to comply with OPEC plus cuts despite January overproduction. Oh, I just said something about that. Kazakhstan's talking about voluntary cuts. They're not officially a member of OPEC. I think they're just buddies with OPEC plus, which is basically Russia. They're saying they'll make cuts in their production. This is at the same time that OPEC has also said they're making cuts. Most of the member nations of OPEC have complied, and I can tell so far. Some of them have not, unfortunately, for OPEC. Good for us. But what we need to see is what's going to happen around this long-term-wise. Some of this is posturing. Some of the OPEC members literally cannot produce more. So instead of saying they can't produce more, they say we're going to cut production. However, the ability for OPEC to produce more is within line of sight of another year or two, I think. Once again, if a war doesn't break out in the Middle East, this is OPEC basically pulling in favors because Kazakhstan is not a member. It's just sort of a friendly nation and basically saying, okay, everybody, let's try to reduce supply so that we can get prices up while demand is good and strong. Once again, like I said earlier, I think we are going to see a price surge no matter what anybody would like to see happen toward the middle to end of this year. We'll keep an eye on this. Okay. All right. Novatech resumes fuel processing after Ukrainian drone attack. Yeah. So this is one of the largest or maybe the largest exporting terminal in Russia Mm -hmm. on the Baltic Sea. Ukraine did what they did best, which is just take a bunch of drones and do a mass attack. Russian defenses literally could not keep up. The refinery itself was damaged, not severely. It did start a fire. They were able to shut everything down. If I remember right, I don't think anybody got hurt or anybody died, although it did damage the refinery. This refinery is one of the key suppliers in that part of the world of jet fuel, think warplanes, fuel oil, Napa, gas oil, which I haven't seen the word gas oil in a long time. Any of my organic chemists out there or any of my downstream listeners, I believe gas oil is just diesel with red dye in it. And if I'm wrong or right about that, somebody let me know. I haven't seen that word gas oil in a long time, but I believe that's what it is. I think it's just diesel with a red dye placed in it. And I think that has to do with something about 
what diesel you can run in over-the-road trucks versus mm. farm machinery. It's a way for them to okay. tell. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. with Conceivably, if this was a strategic move by the Ukraine military, what they're trying to do is starve what's left of the few planes that Russia has left of fuel, which makes total sense from a military point of view. But also from an economic point of view, until this refinery gets turned back on, Russia's losing revenue, which only benefits the Ukraine. What's funny about all this, Paige, is – we don't talk too much about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. It's become like almost like normal, but it's still a huge geopolitical risk in our industry, oil and gas industry. It's just been kind of. Oh, I don't want to talk about it because my how much of my tax money has gone to overseas? Well, but I'm not going to get. Yeah, let's not go to <laughs> yet. Anyway, we'll keep eye on this one. All right, India will begin discussions to join IEA. I think this is actually a great idea. So the IEA, not that I'm always a fan of them. If you don't know, is an international energy agency. It's basically a conglomerate of nations that consume a lot of hydrocarbons that get along. <laughs> if you look at all the member nations of IEA, it's, it's who you think it is. It's the U.S. and Japan and a bunch of other friendly countries that work together to look at what's being produced, to look at actual data, to make sure that we could minimize impact to the environment, and just making sure that we all operate together. So it's not the opposite of OPEC. It's more of a think tank with politicians, and if you can think about all that actually working together. I also got to remember that I think Germany and Japan are also members of IEA. Oh, we're going to see where this goes. The reason India wants to join is, if you haven't figured this out yet, India is on its way to, I firmly believe, have a higher domestic gross income than anybody, including the U.S. somewhere down the road. I also think they're going to pass up China, both in population and GDP. India is growing like crazy. They have a rising middle class. They need more and more and more energy. And the only way that we can provide that to them today effectively and environmentally responsibly is with hydrocarbons. So it just makes economic sense for India to join the IEA to help shape some of those policies, become one of those thought leaders. The other thing I thought was interesting is the IEA is headquartered in Paris, Paris, France. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. For the first time ever, they're opening another location. They open it in Singapore, which tells mm. me the IEA sees the future value in the Asia Pacific region mm. of the world. Remember, IEA is also has a political component. Right. There's a lot of politics going on here. I don't want to get too deep into that, although I can easily see how this is beneficial to also the IEA. Obviously, the more member countries it has, the more revenue it has, and more things it can do with that revenue. But I think this is a good thing, India joining. Great, great. All right. So next news article is Murphy Oils names Eric Hambly president and COO. Yeah. You know what I love about Eric? What? He started his career off as an attorney in the oil and gas industry. Then you know what he did? Hmm. He went out in the field. Can you imagine an attorney volunteering to go work in the field because he wanted to learn the business from the front lines? I mean, in a way, that's kind of like land people. Yeah. Most of them are attorneys. Actually, you know, Paige, I never thought about that. You're right. A lot yeah. of them are attorneys. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is a great, great appointment right here. He's been with Murphy for, I think, 18 years. He was a real important in their global expansion, in their exploration side, and also their production and operational side. He's had a lot of different roles in Gulf of Mexico, Malaysia, onshore operations, U.S., onshore operations in Canada. He was last, I think, executive vice president for operations till he got this recent appointment as president and COO. Long history of understanding the industry. And like I said, I like the guy that is an attorney. So I think for a little while he was their general counsel, but then raised his hand saying, I want to go out in the field because I want to learn this business. I want to get my boots dirty. And he did. So I can't imagine anybody better to help run Murphy. So congratulations, Eric Hambly. It's a well-deserved promotion. Awesome. 
All right, Diamondback to buy Endeavor for $26 billion in oil mega deal. Yeah, Permian is hot. Yeah, it is. And mergers and acquisitions are hot in the Permian. This is just another one on top of the list of everything else that's going on out there. Like if I were to just put M&A stuff on here, that would be the entire show. It would be. Yeah. So we had Exxon Pioneer, Chevron and Hess, Occidental and Crown Rock. Just so many things. Yeah. And it's just going on and on and on again. Once again, Diamondback's trying to solidify its position in Permian. Let me tell you what I really think is going on. Hmm. Diamondback knows, can see the writing on the wall. So can mm-hmm. any of the other mid-sized operators in the Permian. They know they're going to be acquired. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. They cannot not be acquired. Right. So what they're doing, I think, is acquiring whatever they can that makes sense, number one, to make their valuation higher so it's not going to be as easy. I mean, that makes complete for sense. For Chevron yeah. Exxon to pick them up. Uh-huh. But also, number two, when that happens, and I believe at some point in the future, Exxon or Chevron will buy Diamondback. When that happens, Diamondback is in a much better position to negotiate what they want than just being taken over by a big super major. So I think this is a very strategic move on several different levels. The funny thing is, if I remember right, both Diamondback and Endeavor's corporate offices are in, right across the street from each other. <laughs> well, that's easy. That Maybe that's how they chose it. That due diligence was the turn just walking back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that note is kind of funny. But the Permian's hot. It is the OPEC of the U.S. as far as oil production. We haven't even got the Permian up running very well yet. We got... Decades and decades and decades of increasing production, increasing production, increasing production. And this is going to drive more and more mergers and acquisitions, especially now that the really large guys, the super majors, finally, after a decade or so, actually more than a decade, have figured out how to make money on land. They struggled for a long time. And especially Chevron. On shore, not on land. On shore. Okay. I figured (laughs) it out. You could tell she worked offshore. (laughs) Regulatory. Everybody else well, knew what no, was, land means. <laughs> no, when I started working on shore permits, I got corrected a lot. So uh, you're 100% right. Just like when I call a uh, cement concrete, everybody. Yeah, that. no, don't do that yeah. either. I know. I don't know. I got the Cape of Good Hope wrong the other day. <laughs> <laughs> put it in the wrong part of the world. <laughs> Come on, there's a lot going on in my head. Now I'm a Well, I mean, medicine. I get it. I get it. I get it. All right, let's move on. SEB Commodity Chief gives a rocket and drone warning in new report. Yeah, this is an interesting read. So who is this from? This is from RigZone. Yeah. And basically, it's a pretty interesting quote in here, something I just talked about. And basically, the quote says, if Iran is serious about a possible diplomatic solution for Israel-Hamas, it would reduce the risk for an all-out regional war in the Middle East involving Iran and thus reduce the risk for disruption of large volumes of oil in the region, which is 100% legit. What they're talking through here in this article is what's going on literally with the massive amount of drone and rocket attacks that are being launched against military shipping and also civilian shipping. And a lot of it seems to me to be aimed at any shipping that might possibly help Israel. Now, this is from the outside looking in. I don't have any line to any type of military intelligence. This is just me seeing the same news, reading the same stuff you're reading out there. If you think about it that way, the potential for this to turn something really bad is there. And then earlier this morning, which is not in this list of articles, I actually read for the first time ever it was proven that an intercontinental ballistic missile was intentionally aimed at a ship in the Red Sea, which is a huge escalation. Yeah. The good thing is our military, when I say ours, I mean the U.S., has countermeasures to shoot these drones and rockets down before they threaten U.S. lives and U.S. naval vessels. However, the reason they're able to do that is the technology that the Houthi rebels have is 20 years old to get right. some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What I'm worried about is some of the Chinese technology, which is – 
in my opinion, not as good as the U.S., but awfully damn close, then that's going to be a different level yeah, of warfare. Yeah, that's kind of scary. The moment a major ship gets hit, a U.S. ship gets hit, even I think our current administration would have to respond with some type of limited warfare. There's no way they could not do that. That's not talking about all the other countries. Well, they've been really good about responding to other things that have occurred. Yeah. I don't want to see all-out war in that region. With what's going on with Israel right now and with all the countries that don't even recognize Israel in that part of the world, with what's going on with Iran, this is a powder keg of potential yeah. just really bad stuff happening. I think there's been 35 or 40 incidents where commercial vessels have been attacked since November in the Red Sea. All that's being done by the Houthi rebels. I just hope they don't get any more advanced technology from anywhere else in the world. The other thing that interests me, though, is China actually has some military vessels in the Red Sea that are basically watching what's going on. They're listening. And they've actually fussed at Iran and Iran's partners with China. So for China to tell Iran, hey, you need to tone it down, get control of these rebels, would hopefully make me think that China won't let them acquire the technology that could threaten U.S. warships. We'll see. This is so close to being really bad that we really have to pay close attention to this and hope that really smart people are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we don't know about, which I'm convinced is, is what's going on. But if something breaks out there, you can see oil spike immediately right. yeah. to $150, $160 a barrel. Easily. Yep. All right. Midwest refinery outage is affecting petroleum product markets. Yeah. So one large refinery from BP had some unexpected downtime. This is 435,000 barrels per day refinery. It's actually the largest in the Midwest. They actually had a power outage that actually fried some stuff. I don't know all the details. I do know that all of these refineries typically not only run on utility power, but have massive amounts of backup generating capacity, and they make sure their power is clean. How they let a power outage fry stuff is beyond Was me. it a bad storm? We've had so many of those lately going yeah. through that area. That could have happened. Usually the refineries have everything set up so no matter what happens, whether they have a dip in voltage or a spike in voltage, they have the equipment there to clean all that stuff up because this is what happens when you don't. Yeah. Anyway, took the refinery down. You're seeing fuel prices go up. Not just fuel prices, but all refined products that have gone up because of this. A lot of this stuff would actually run through Chicago. A lot of the refined products, think of things like polypropylene, Napa, all that sort of stuff is prices going up in the Midwest part of the country. Mm. This refinery will be back online, I suspect, in the next week. Shouldn't take them that long to get this thing back up. But it just shows how delicate the balance is between the, our consumption of refined goods and the mm -hmm. fact that we haven't built any new refineries in the U.S. And you have one, one refinery go down in the Midwest, which does not have a lot of refineries like we have here in the Gulf Coast, and affects the price of everything that day. Good thing is nobody got hurt. Once they figure out what happened, and surely they will, BP will, will put measures in place to make sure that this type of outage doesn't happen again for this reason. It was interesting to watch gasoline go up 13 cents a gallon the moment this was announced. Once again, proven that the perception of what's going on in the market drives the market sometimes yep. instead of supply and demand. Because when this was announced, there's no way that the refinery going down had affected supply of gasoline yet. Yet immediately it went up 13 cents a gallon. Yeah. Good thing is nobody got hurt. Get this thing back online and get things back to normal up in that part of the country. All right. So next up, we've got ExxonMobil expands chemical production in Baytown, Texas. Do you know that this is the largest refinery and most sophisticated refinery in the world? Actually, I did not know that. Yeah, it's right here in our backyard. This construction project that we're talking about, the Baytown Chemical Expansion Project, was a $2 billion investment by ExxonMobil, and they start the work back in 2019. 
3,500 jobs were created overnight just to do this work. Of those 3,500 jobs, about 1,000 are going to stick around as permanent jobs. Awesome. Yeah. Love this stuff. They have new units producing things like different types of polymers that make literally everything in our world <laughs> that we do. There's a second unit that will be start producing linear alpha olefins, which isn't a market I think Exxon's done much work in. Those olefins are used in a lot of things like synthetic motor oil, which is what you and I both run. Think of the high-performance coatings and waxes you put on your car. Think of things like plastics, packaging, specialty chemicals. Exxon's going to stick their toe in the market, in the olefin market, in a very big way, which tells me that they know there's a future market of this, so they wouldn't be doing that because they have to make a profit of this. And like I said... Yeah, I'm right. The Baytown facility is the largest integrated petroleum complex in the U.S. and one of the most technology-advanced refining petrochemical complexes in the world. It sits on 3,400 acres of the Houston Chip Channel, just 25 miles east of Houston. When we drive back to Louisiana and we go over that yep. big bridge, that's what we see to our right, right. all those storage tanks. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. If you ever get a chance to tour this, it is crazy how big it is. In fact, that they run this thing like a military operation. I'm glad to see the expansion, glad to see all the jobs, and you want to know something else that they don't talk about in this article? Huh. Because of what they're doing with the increase in polymers, I guarantee you their other plant, which is now doing the recycling, is to start sending them recycled uh, polymers for the food stock, yeah. which is another way to get more plastics out of our landfills and have awesome. them reused and recycled. Love it. They're so smart. <laughs> All right. Last one. Devon Energy and talks to acquire oil driller Interplus. You know what's cool about this? What? Interplus is a Canadian company and our favorite spot, Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. Devin is in discussions. They have not come to agreement. I actually heard about this earlier and I thought it wasn't true. And then you put this article in here. Mm -hmm. The author's article is citing anonymous sources, (laughs) which is interesting. I didn't even notice that. Interplus shares jumped 10% when this was made public. They operate, I think, primary in the Bakken, North Dakota, and then out Pennsylvania in the Marcellus area. Devons is, I think, the biggest independent operator in the Shell plays. Mm-hmm. Very big in the Permian, also in New Mexico side of the Permian, and also in North Dakota. And I knew that Devon was out looking for acquisitions as all their competitors are. I think this is a really good deal. It is going to be interesting to see why they intentionally picked up a Calgary-based operator. I suspect that Devin thinks that the Canadian oil and gas markets go pick up mm. and they're trying to get ahead God, of the competition. I hope so. I hope so too for our Canadian brothers yeah. and sisters. Right. Fingers crossed that's the reason Devin's picking them up. What I think is going to happen over the next 10 years in the oil and gas industry, it is about time for Canada to actually start getting around some of their own political issues and actually start producing more and more hydrocarbons that the world needs. Yep. I also think politically, the reason that it's not happening in Canada is could change relatively soon. They could have new elections with new leaders come into place that still aren't super conservative by the way we're looking at, it, but who want jobs and want employment and tax dollars and realize that by trying to snuff out the hydrocarbon industry, it just hurt the entire country. I just blame Trudeau. Yeah, well, that's the easiest thing to do because it's true. anyway that's it for the news articles look Paige and I don't feel good if you want to make us feel better do me a favor go sign up for both newsletters that'll help us more than any cold or just buy a shirt with my face on it or buy a shirt (laughs) which by the way how are you and Jordan doing you're still I don't know so first off it's not a competition for me I could care less I'm just surprised that's because she's winning so it's easier for her no actually I'm not I don't think I'm winning anymore you're definitely winning oh I don't know I don't want to be competitive about people wanting my face on their chess and stuff however 
Jordan's catching up very, very quickly. I think you sold 23 shirts. I think he sold eight coffee mugs. What? Yeah. I thought it was only like six or seven. No, you sold 23. This is globally. Oh. Yeah. Oh, snap. And I have to go look at Jordan's. So I think his last mug was number eight. Now, he okay. bought one himself, which technically still counts, but you well, didn't yeah. buy your own shirt. Well, I just, well, no, I didn't. Okay, yeah. That's weird. Yeah. That's really weird. <laughs> Could you imagine me walking around with my own face? No, man. I'd- Actually, you know how funny that would be to watch people's reaction? Mm, that's weird. All right. An audience doesn't want to hear all this. No. Weekly rig count. Where are we? We are down to, in the United States, at 621, up to, in Canada, 234, and up 10 internationally at 965. Good numbers. What else is good numbers is the rapid growth of our LinkedIn company page. Go join. Just go join easy merch you heard us talking about we have a whole selection of merchandise sorry everybody our children's and baby merchandise is running behind all the graphic artist work is done but i caught a mistake that they had to fix it's a very simple mistake oh okay that's just a later thing but hopefully in another week the children's and babies oil and gas merch will be out there we have some really wonderful designs so go to week go check it out my speaking gigs are filling up rapidly this year, 2024. We're going to be all over the world. However, I still have some open slots. Same way, if you want us to come do a live podcast, we're actually getting a lot of those requests already as well, which is very early in the year for us to get those. But if you want us to bring a live podcast to your conference, trade show, whatever, reach out. Happy to share those details. Ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.